0: hey friends cable here and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at kent cartridge uh, i've got a man i've got a lot of history with this brand going back to my college days when i was waiting tables just to fund my duck hunting addiction that's when i first discovered kent and uh, i'd mess around with other brands cheaper brands and literally watch the pellets bounce off of greenheads. Uh, i found kent and i fell in love And nothing's changed over the last 20 years except for well i'd say fast deal 2.0 is even better than the original and kent offers a premium shell at a sub premium price check it out it's fast deal 2.0 you can find it at your local retailer howdy everybody this week's podcast also brought to you by spartan forge born and more spartan forge was conceived while targeting terrorists Think about that targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror we can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks now it's time to get this analysis into your hands it's military-based intelligence next generation mapping i absolutely love it and i love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today.
1: I couldn't wait to do my sentence. I broke out of the Nashville jail. I just crossed.
0: Cable Smith, welcome everybody into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, episode 663. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks to Mossberg Firearms, our longtime presenting sponsor. got a great show lined up for you today, and I'll tell you all about it momentarily. But first off, it's just not a level playing field out there, guys and gals. It really isn't. Uh, Montana Senator Steve Daines had his Twitter account suspended because he posted a picture of him and his wife with an antelope they shot in Montana. Literally. Beautiful trophy. Him and his wife sitting there with this pronghorn. And Twitter suspended his account because the photo, quote, violates their rules against graphic violence or adult content and profile images. Graphic violence or adult content. So uh, a dead animal's graphic, there's not even any blood, first of all, it's not a kill shot, it's, the animal's already dead, so where's the violence? It's just a static photo. Meanwhile, and here's the Catch-22, here's the catch 22. This same entity, and, and throw Facebook and Instagram in there as well, they're just as guilty. They allow human-on-human violence, literally people getting gunned down in the street, all kinds of gang violence, they allow pornography, Women's nipples, butt cracks, I mean, thongs barely covering up their JJs, all that stuff rampant on each of these platforms, and they don't do a damn thing about it, despite the fact that it violates their own code of conduct, but no, they turn a blind eye, yet when a conservative posts a picture of a hunting photo, (laughs) this is the result. Oh, 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 and then uh, the, the folks in Oklahoma protesting bills designed to protect youth from being transgendered before they're 21. Yeah, they uh, they literally overtook the Oklahoma State Capitol. But, oh, they're so brave and downtrodden. In 2020, we called those same people on the other side of the fence just good old-fashioned insurrectionists. <laughs> uh, Ted Cruz took to Senator Dane's defense and said, Ridiculous, my friend at Steve Dane's is in Twitter jail for posting this pic with his wife. Of course, Ted reposted it. If you don't like hunting, fine, don't go. But don't censor others who disagree. And I'm pretty sure this is a formal job responsibility for a senator from Montana. Spot on, Ted. So what do we do? Well, we'll keep fighting. Uh, It's an uphill struggle because big tech is... I mean, hell, they they even admit they influenced the 2020 election, suppressing conservative views. Uh, So they're anti-gun. They're anti-hunting. They're pro-vegan. They're pro-animal rights activism. They're pro-gender dysphoria. It's absolutely gross. And there are... I'll use air quotes here, but there are hunters out there that vote for these people? Whoo, give me a break, man. If you're voting for that side, you're voting against the Second Amendment, which we know Pittman Robertson dollars fund conservation across the country. So you're voting against conservation, you're voting against the Second Amendment, and you're voting for legislation that is aimed at doing away with hunting because make no mistake about it, 99%, 99.9% of anti-hunting and anti-2A legislation is introduced by leftists. The end. Rant over. Okay, Uh, what are we doing today? Well, two great guests lined up for you, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pull yourself another cup of that black rifle coffee out of granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. Off the top, professional bass fishing guide, Dalton Smith, will be here. He's had a run over the last six weeks, that is unparalleled. He's caught three largemouth bass on OHIV, weighing over 14 pounds. Two of them back in December, and we, uh, we actually recorded the interview, and then he went and caught another one. So we had to add a supplement to the conversation. Uh, he caught another one before I could even air the damn thing. Uh, so a run like I've never seen before, and uh, the kid is obsessed. I say kid, he's a young man and obviously knows his craft. Uh, so we'll get all the details on where he found the fish, what he caught them on, and the role that LiveScope technology played in landing these three fish of a lifetime. Uh, and then a very interesting story out of the Idaho backcountry, when lifelong outdoorsman and hunter Joe Lobo joins us to relive the unfortunate story of a mountain lion coming into his yard and killing his dog and eating it right there on his lawn. Uh, Fortunately, there was a, I don't even know if it's a happy ending, uh, but there was a resolution with this cat, and uh, Joe had, he played a hand in that right there on his property as well. So a fascinating story uh, coming out of the Idaho backcountry when Joe joins us. At the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. A uh, real quick giveaway. How about a pair of Vortex precision rifle scope rings, the PMR rings? These are uh, the medium height, uh, but these things retail for like $129. So you can slap them on your 6.5 Creedmoor. No, I'm just kidding. Slap them on your 300 Win Mag and uh, take to the field with what I believe to be the Most technologically advanced and rugged rings on the market. So just uh, email the word Vortex, that's Vortex, to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's giveaway. Coming up next, Dalton Smith joins us from Lake OH on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors Show. Mr. Browning has a prediction. Hi, this is Robert O'Keen, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Up this morning, before the sun, fixed me some and, uh, honey fun. jumped in the picker,
2: gave her the gas. I'm going out to catch a
0: five. All right, Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back five-pound into five-pound SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. Thank you for being here, I'm Robert O'Keen. Five pound bass, of course, it had to be as we're about to get into some big bass conversation. But these uh, bass, more like five-pound bass times three. Yeah, some absolute behemoths. And we'll do that with fishing guide Dalton Smith momentarily. This segment, though, proudly brought to you by SCI. The big event is taking place this month, February 22nd through the 25th in Nashville. It's the annual convention, and the entire global hunting community will converge in Nashville for four days at the end of this month. I'll be there. Look forward to seeing you for more information, head over to Safariclub.org, and I will see you there. Okay, without further ado, let's bring him on right now. the man who has taken the Texas bass fishing scene by storm. It's my pleasure to welcome Dalton Smith to the show.
1: Yeah, man, I really appreciate you having me on. I'm excited about it, so.
0: So where are you from originally?:
1: I'm originally from uh, Kentucky, uh, about uh, about an hour south of Louisville. And I went to school in central Kentucky and fished in college and ended up moving down there and coaching at the college at Campbell's University where I graduated. We started a kayak bass fishing team and I had the pleasure to coach those those anglers for a little over a year and uh, guide on the side a little bit and just fish every day and hang out with them. And so it's been it's pretty cool.
0: Of course. Yeah, that's awesome. What do you what do you coach or what did you coach?
1: So we started a uh, kayak bass fishing team, and it was, we were the, us and another school, Carson Newman, we were the two scholarship schools in the Hobie series, the Hobie College series, and they fished their their whole year last year and did great, and it was awesome, like just, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of experience fishing, I have a kayak maybe two or three times, but um, I got to watch them learn and get excited about fishing and do good and compete. So um, it was, it was awesome. They got a good thing going on over there. Um, it's going to continue to grow. And so you're, I'm excited you're coaching to fishing? Guys. Yes, sir. Kayak bass fishing. Yep.
0: Wow. That's incredible. And the school paid yeah. you to do that?
1: Yes, yeah, sir. That was my full, that was my full time salary job after I graduated from fishing there you know, for four years. So
0: who knew, I mean, I knew colleges, a lot of colleges have bass teams. I didn't know they actually had a, yep paid instructor
1: yeah yeah so a lot of the teams are either scholarship or they're um, like a club and when they're scholarship most of the time they have a head coach and an assistant coach Um we had huh. a director of fishing and then we had a head coach for the bass fishing team and and then I was the head coach for the kayak bass fishing team so it's pretty cool
0: mm, that's awesome
1: very yeah. cool yes sir. so
0: um did you did you fish tournaments before that experience? And do you fish tournaments now?
1: uh, Yeah. So, man, I've been, since I was 13 years old, I fished my first tournament and uh, we had a lot of little like reservoirs and river systems there around the house in Kentucky. And I fished in in high school and then um, got, got that college scholarship at Campbell's university and had a great college career, uh, fished with a bunch of different people. Um, My last year I had a freshman, uh, Kate Hayford from Michigan and we got third in the team of the year for the bass stuff. Like, we just learned a lot. And it just – every year, just – I knew I loved it and stuff. And um, some things happened after I graduated. And I still fish tournaments. But since I moved down here uh, to Voss, Texas, here on Lake OHI, I've just been uh, guiding and and fishing every day I can and just trying to grow my brand and business and meet as many people as I can. The The fishing culture down here is awesome, uh, get to hang out with a lot of cool people that know you know a little bit older than me i'm only 24 years old so i get uh-huh. to i get to be a sponge and soak it all up around here so
0: well and ivy is kind of uh and i and don't get me wrong i wasn't on lake fork in the 80s and early 90s but it seems like it's the same thing that's happening like uh, I, didn't, I don't yeah. you might have more information as to why the last three years ivy has just been incredible but traditionally yeah if you look at say there's I don't know, what is it? 500-something share lunkers now that have been caught in Texas. If you were right. to go and break it down by lake, Lake Fork's got damn near half of them. Like, literally. Like, 250 of them are going to be from Lake Fork. And every year, Lake Fork still produces share lunkers. And typically, until Ivy took over, Lake Fork would produce three or four a year, and then every other lake would have one. Maybe on a good year, they'd have two. But Lake Fork was right. always still the gold standard. That's not any not anymore. Not, not in recent history, anyway. Ivy has displaced right. Fork. And is turning out lunkers hand over fist, it seems like.
1: Yeah. Uh I have so you know, some other guys down here. Uh Jack Dork's in town right now, too. We've been hanging out. So Jason Kahn and Jack Dork and some of the guys, their customers want to or their clients want to come over here and chase a trophy fish just because this lake's putting out those teeners. Um, yeah. and you don't see that all the time at Fork like you're going to go catch 40 to 50 pound back, you know, five fish stringers, but the chance that a, a trophy bass here on Ivy is so much greater right now. And, it, and we have some theories, no one knows a hundred percent, but, um, when they stocked, I can't remember what year it was, but, um, they stocked a, that first big bunch of sharelunkers And it's just like, it's that time where they're all reaching that like max potential growth. And that's yeah. why we're so we're seeing so many right now.
0: Yeah. Okay. So and so had you i, I read somewhere in an article that you actually the day that that you ended up catching these fish you're supposed to be duck hunting in arkansas
1: yeah yeah so i guess i can if you like i can go back it's it's a crazy story it, it's yeah. kind of a detailed story but it's really crazy uh we had a I'm an avid outdoorsman as well. Uh, I love to hunt. I've kind of quit chasing deer just because I was guiding all winter, and mm-hmm. I kind of have to weigh your options and stuff. But So I got into waterfowl hunting because it's usually the CODA's part of the year, and we had planned a trip to go to Arkansas with one of our buddies that has a boat, and he, he hunts public land down there, and the river had fallen out like the water level. So about two o'clock, we canceled our duck hunting trip. And at five o'clock, I talked my buddy Cole Lockston into coming down here because I've been talking about coming down here forever. And we left Bowling Green, Kentucky at 10 p.m. and we drove all night. Uh, Cole drove most of the way down and I hopped on the last like three or four hours and we got on the lake and drove around and it was it was blowing pretty good that day so i just wanted to see the lake see the water clarity water temperature kind of like how it looked and how it set up and i don't even think we boated a bass the first you know we were only on the water for three or four hours but uh, we went in and uh, the next day we went out and just started to figure stuff out and at the end of the day and so you had never been 11-11. to ivy
0: you never no, been sir before.
1: oh wow no sir no, we had never been. Um, I had, I've had i watched a bunch of stuff and kept up with, you know, the things that, you know, Brett Cannon and Josh Jones and all the guys down here are doing um, and just really intrigued. And I will say, though, like, I was I was just a little – like, I felt good about just showing up down here and putting the trow motor in the water just because in college fishing, we would have to – we would travel across the country and have to break the lake down. So I was excited yeah. about trying to put some things together. And uh, we had, like – 20, like our best five went like 27 and a half, but Cole caught an 11, 11. So that made the trip. And that was mm-hmm. the the day before the fourteen And we were super stoked, like so happy about that. We were pretty like just, we could have dropped everything and left and I'd have been happy with, with how the trip went. Um, yeah. um, but we we started to figure out a couple of things like a timing deal, but they were really picky on the bait presentation and color. It seemed like, so you just had to be at the right place at the right time. And I had caught a five pounder. Um, that day Cole caught the 1111 and it was, and it was like in this little spot that set up like a spot where they just floated out there and kind of swam around and chased bait on the edge of a timberline. And the next day we, we caught them good in the morning and I was like, Cole, let's go back there. You know, let's, let's go do some looking around. And, um, I had a giant one on forward facing sonar. We could tell it was over 10 pounds and she bit my bait. But when I felt the bite, it was her spitting the bait out. And mm-hmm. I set the hook and she wasn't there. I was like, man, that fish, like I felt it spit it out. Like I need to set the hook sooner. So the next one that did it, I set the hook when I thought she ate it. And so this is where things get crazy. Um, I set the hook. I'm I'm using a eight pound fluorocarbon like leader with a 20 pound mainline braid on a Dwayne Dixie custom. It's a seven, five, like extreme finesse rod is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And I've got a Vanford, Shadamano Vanford, like a 2,500 series on it. And I hooked this fish and she takes, she takes off running and I'm watching our live scope the whole time. And I just can't wrap my head around that, that size of fish is a bass. Like I, at this point, I'm still kind of, I don't think it's a bass and Cole's like, dude, it's a bass. <laughs> so she would get 10 foot from the boat and I would watch her kick her tail and she would just be down to 30 foot instantly. That's how strong these fish are. So I'm like, tightening my drag, loosening my drag, really trying to fight this fish because I don't want her to break, but there's a huge tree, like a 60-foot tall oak tree, and she keeps trying to get in it, and I keep trying to get her out, and she keeps pulling me, and she just swam right into the tree, and my line just stopped, and I was like, "Cole, oh, she's hung up. This fish is hung up, and I'm, I'm, I'm upset, but at the same time, I didn't see it, so I didn't know what it was, and we're sitting there trying to figure out what to do, And at this point, there's a phoenix and he kind of sees the commotion going on. So he just kind of starts to float towards us. And about the time he was probably like 50, 60 yards away, Uh, we're looking on live scope at this tree she's in. And I can see, like I had fought her probably for 10 minutes and um, on live scope, I can see something floating up to the top of the tree. And I'm like, Cole, I think that's her. Like, I think that's that fish. Like she's, she's worn out. So she's just floating up because she came out of deep water. And we start looking around and we can see her belly down in the water. And I'm like, that's her, that's her, that's her. So we start clearing all the rods off the front deck and he, and we're, it's raining at this point, I think, or misting. So we have a rain gear on and Cole has his like bibs on. So I I go to hold his bibs and hold my rod at the same time. And he ends up netting this fish that was hung up in a tree, like the one that I had on. Yeah. So he gets her up, and the guy's right here watching it all happen. I bite the line and then reel in my, my rod because it was hung up in the tree, and we I kind of lost it there for a second. Um, like, the guy was trying to talk to us, you know, and ask us questions, and I couldn't catch my breath. So I started, like, dry heaving over the side of the boat. Like, <laughs> you know, all the things that you think goes through your mind goes through your mind. Like, the adrenaline high is crazy. I've never felt that in my life. Um, uh-huh. So we go weigh the fishing and I do want to, you know, shout out Elm Creek, um, David and Monica at Elm Creek uh, RV and campgrounds. And they, the whole process is super easy. Um, we've create we create a great relationship with them. They help out everything, you know, they love us down here guiding and their food is amazing. But anyway, so we go up there and we weigh the fish in and take pictures and do everything for the share lunker program. Cause I wanted to submit this fish. Yeah. Um, but it, I was two days before the new year. So they were done taking share lunkers for the year. So I can still understand that
0: really personally. Like I've, I've never understood that with Texas parks in my life. Why like a a 13 pound plus fish is a 13 plus pound fish. Like why would you not want that genetics in your program? So I don't, I don't get it. I think that,
1: uh, you know, maybe I'm, I'm just thinking, I don't know the answer, but I'm just thinking that they want, they don't want to take too many. Um, and they might, you know, they've already had, they already had enough for the year or whatever, how they, or the season that they do. Um, but I do understand. I mean, there's different sides to the story, but you know, I got to, we did some videos for six cents. I caught her on a 2.7 divine swim bait, like basically like a crappie jig. I mean, it's tiny. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we did some videos for six cents and Dixie custom rides and let the fish go and took a video of her swimming off and our plan was, is when we pulled the boat out of the water for that day, that we're headed back to Kentucky. We had some stuff that we had to be back for New Year's for, um, New Year's Eve for. So I looked at Cole and I was like, are we going to go make some more cast? And he was like, let's go. <laughs> so we take off and go back to the spot. And within five minutes of the troll motor being in the water, I hooked up to another one. And we actually saw her very quickly. Like I set the hook into her and she kind of came up. She didn't jump, but she came to where we could see her under the water. So we knew it was another share lunker 13 plus yeah. size fish. So I fought her in open water and she never got towards any trees or anything and cold netted her again. And at this point, I, I'm like pinching myself. Like I'm pacing <laughs> up, like I'm pacing back and forth on the boat. I can't even sit still. Cause it's just, it, it doesn't seem like a real life situation. Same bait. And yes, sir. 2.7 divine swim bait. How deep were these head. fish? So these fish were swimming by themselves in about 30 foot, about mm-hmm. 25 to 30 foot, somewhere in there. Uh, just kind of floating around. Like we kind of see at Dale Hollow, these big fish, they just kind of swim in the river channel and they eat bait when they want to. Uh, when they, when they get that big, they kind of like, they're not, they're not loners. Like there's a zone of these big fish, but they just kind of, they want to be alone. I think a lot of times, I mean, you'll see like two or three together. Sometimes it's crazy what we've learned with this uh, forward facing sonar stuff. Um, and I might, you know, I might be, I got, I get super, super excited about the forward facing sonar stuff. I know some people hate it and love it, but it's it's been a crazy tool that we get to see this stuff happen. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So what was your personal best before these two fish and and what did <laughs> yeah, they weigh? So,
1: so, the first one weighed 1469 and the second one weighed 14.27. And one of them was 25.5 inches long, and the other one was 26.5 inches long. And I took measurements of the girth and everything, and I don't know this. I have the measurements, like, on fishing line, but I haven't, like, looked at the actual length and stuff. Of I want to get some replicas made for sure, but right now I'm just kind of, like, you know, looking for that next one. <laughs> so Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they were both on the same bait, and – that's what they weighed, and and what was your next question there?
0: Oh uh, no, that. Yeah. What was your personal best before that?
1: Oh, okay. So I've caught four seven-pound largemouth bass, and my PB smallmouth is a six-two. Um, I have traveled like across the country in college fishing. I just never boated one over seven. I keep, I feel like every time is a seven, a seven, a seven. Um, so I doubled it twice. Yeah, day.
0: twice. I mean, that's I oh. how rare that is, dude. I don't know. I mean, there are people in the share lunker program, anglers who have caught multiple share lunkers. I don't know if I've ever heard of one catching two on the same day.
1: Yeah. might've happened, but I I don't remember it. From what I'm hearing around here, at least in Texas, I might be the only person that's ever caught two 14s in one day. You know, don't take my hundred percent word on that, but a lot of people have told me that and it's pretty cool to think about. Um, But I, I think that might be true. So
0: yeah well since we're we're done patting you on the back let's pat me on the back now uh so no (laughs) I my personal best was a six nine and then i can't remember I, i think it was 2017 maybe i was it was the spawn and i was just out fishing at a you know probably a 10 acre lake close to where i live and i caught two giant crappie on a 10 inch uh watermelon worm i think it was a zoom maybe um but I, I, these kind of these big crappie and this is a like, this is in a residential area. So of course I'm, everything's catch and release. Not that you'd want to eat those yeah. fish anyway. So I throw these right. crappie back and I'm like, well, that's cool. You know, I'll try to catch another one. I throw it back in there and hook into something. I'm like, oh, that ain't a crappie. And then I see her jump and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how big she is, but I've never caught a, a bass that big. And yeah. just immediately was like praying God, God, please, please don't let this fish get off, you know? So I get her to yeah. the bank and and I've told this story on the air before, but it's been a while. Uh, and I realized like I, I land her and I'm like, this fish weighs over 10 pounds, I think. Like, And I and then I'm going through my backpack. Like, well, my scale is corroded. Like I haven't caught a fish worth weighing mm-hmm. in so long. That, yeah. So I, I tie her up. I drive to 7-Eleven, buy some batteries, <laughs> try to get the thing to work. It doesn't work. So then I just go to Cabela's, buy a scale, and, and drive back to uh to where she was she, it she ended up being 10 two three and, Heck yeah but the guy. feeling of and, and I, I don't fish as much as I hunt but I, I mean I do enjoy it immensely but uh that was every bit as big as like shooting a monster buck you know like yeah yeah I and 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 I can't, you can't replicate it again until you do it again unlike you though True. I don't I didn't stay mad at him I actually was like I'm good for a while. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Everybody's uh, like, man, you done, you know, you're 24, you got two 14s, like you're ruined. And I'm like, I don't see it like that. Like, yeah. you know, everyone around here obviously kind of knows me as that kid that did that. And I'm just, I'm ready for that next one. I'm ready for either my client to hook one up to one or me. Like, I I would gladly net one. Like, I just love mm-hmm. to appreciate them. It's crazy. They just don't get that big too often.
0: No, so, no. And it is whatever's going on with Ivy is uh it's very unique. And now is the time if you want to go have the opportunity like you did to catch a uh twice in a lifetime bass, we'll say. Uh, yeah. Now's the time to do it because these things don't last it's forever, it. you know? No. There will be a time in the near future where Ivy will still kick out lunkers, but it won't be yeah. like this. Uh it, yeah, it just won't a, be.
1: It's definitely it's definitely like the destination to chase a trophy bass. So there are a lot of people that come down here and do it. You know, mm-hmm. it's public waters. It's pretty, it's pretty cool to see everybody get excited about dumping the boat in, and they know they're going to cast that ten, you know, ten plus pounders. But like you said, it's definitely, it's already the pressures getting to it. You can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's not gonna last forever, but definitely, it's it's pretty cool to be down here right now. So
0: yeah, well, so let's talk about live scope real mm-hmm. real quick yeah. because I have been on a crappie trip. And right. It was, it was in February last year and, uh, and th- they weren't schooled up. So it was like, you know, picking one off of a tree. Really? The guide was like, if I didn't have live scope, we wouldn't even be fishing today because I'm, I'm not on them. You know, they're all spread out. He's like, but this tool has turned mm-hmm. my business from a seven month a year job into year round. He's like, I can find right. them all year. He's like, I don't know if that's good or bad. He's like, I don't get days off much anymore. <laughs> but I felt like I was video game fishing and I'm mm-hmm. not knocking live scope. It was yep. cool. It was, you know, we caught fish because of it, but where's the tipping point? Like, and I don't, you know, I honestly don't think all of these chairlunkers would be coming out of Ivy right now if it wasn't for live scope.
1: No, that's, that's a, that's probably a true statement. I, so <sighs> I've been using it for you know probably three years, three over three years now, almost maybe four. Um, I had to I had to adapt and get good with it because of tournament fishing and college mm-hmm. fishing. Like if you weren't keeping up with par with the technology that's coming out, then you're that far behind. You know oh, yeah. the next person. Same
0: thing as a guy, um, I'm sure.
1: Right. So I, I accepted it with open arms. I, I've i gotten very good with it and I've seen other people get very good with it and I like to teach it. It's pretty cool to, to watch somebody kind of click, you know, like when they get it. Um, but it is, it's, uh, I don't know, <laughs> being able to target one specific fish and, you know, up to down to 50, 60, 70. I mean, I know people have caught them deeper than that. Like it's changed the way people fish and you might see like a, you ask where the tipping point is and, and technology in hunting and fishing and, and anything in life is just going to keep to, you know, keep continue, mm-hmm. continuing to grow. So I don't know where the, the brink is. I don't know where the tipping point is, but you're going to start seeing fish and fisheries um, get susceptible to live scope. And these fish are going to start living either deeper or shallower, like getting out of the way from people casting at them. And then you're going to start seeing like the draggers and like people catching them, like old school ways, you're going to start to kind of see that come back, which I think it's going to be a good mix, which is fine. Cause before Live Scope, you know, I had to, I was a shallow water fisherman. I like to fish deep, but you had to grind sometimes because you can't, you don't have eyes there in the water. Mm-hmm. Now I kind of, you know, sometimes I like to turn it off for a day and just go fishing. Cause it kind of brings me back to my roots. But every time I'm looking at that screen and watching how they're acting the stuff, you know?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it it literally, me. here's my bait and it, it was a, you know, a crappie jig with an extra weight on it just so you could see it better but literally i could yeah. put the bait there and see the fish move a little bit and then my friend jerry the guy would be like set the hook I'm, okay yeah
1: yeah yeah. <laughs> like there's <was>, there, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was nothing a, to it it kind of goes back though like you know anybody can live scope or like has the ability to live scope but there's certain there's like some guys that just live scope and they know they don't know why bass do what they do um mm-hmm. like and that's I guess that's a little detailed, you know, but you might see some guys like when it's tough, like they're finding fish and then getting them to eat the next thing, but you have to find them first. That's the big thing is, is, break, you know, is finding fish and daily, why they're doing what they're doing? Cause then on the Ivy, it seems like it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit of a tougher lake to guide on and be consistent on because each day they're just swimming and falling around bait and, you know, it's a little bit unpredictable. Um, but with the weather right now, they're just in their winter. But no, to answer your question, man, Last Cup's awesome. I I'm off do for you it. think they should uh, outlaw it in
0: tournaments, like in the professional level?
1: Uh to me that would be the tipping so. point. Like right. I don't think they're going to, but I could see them doing a non-electronics and electronics like <laughs> like series or like a couple of tournaments here where you can't use electronics. I I think you're probably gonna see that maybe in the next five years uh there's a i mean the, that's been the topic of fishing the past year you know uh there's been a lot of professional anglers that come out and do podcasts or youtube ch- you know shows on live scope and what do people think it's all everybody has an opinion you know so i just kind of i accept it i don't know what the point's going to be i mean we don't know i mean they have octave view cameras now obviously you can't use those in the tournament but in practice they in the past they have been able to use them and up north, when that water is so clean, like it's a big deal to use stuff like mm-hmm. that. So,
0: yeah. Well, and I don't, but, you know, I don't have the answer either. It's just, it's just one of those. Well, it's just like, you
1: know, trail cam, so, uh, cellular cameras, like that's kind of another thing. And then, you know, it's just technology. Like some people won't be, wouldn't be killing 200 inch deer if they didn't know, you know, you're going in there, pulling your card, you're leaving. Send, um, like rice right, hunters well, would not
0: be thinking. killing 200 inch deer, right? I mean, like, the cell cameras have changed the game on that. Like, how would you know? It's like, p- the... two hundred inch deer always have been shot, right? But it was just right place, at the right time. I'm just in the woods and I'm hunting. I don't know what's here because unless you've seen it on the hoof, you have no idea. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I totally so there's a lot of. There's. A lot I don't of think it's can, the same can... as live scope. Like, I think because the live scope is right there in the moment. Like, right. but it is on the hunting. It's probably the closest parallel, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and there are states that have outlawed them like you can't use trail cameras and uh during the season i think in arizona i think there might be other states that have done the really? same thing but yeah on public land actually i think it might be a private land too um but yeah there are there, i think that went into effect last year uh big stink that's for elk hunters but you, but their deal was you'd walk by a water hole and there'd be 10 different cell cameras on there mm, so
1: yeah that's how much, how much, is too much? That. right it's just yeah uh, right. um,
0: well hey as we're wrapping things up here Ah, uh, Dalton. What uh, if you want to plug your guide service? I know you're living yeah, in a Buddy's yeah. camper there, but you've you've made OHIV home.
1: So I was like I said earlier, I was guiding and doing electronic trips back home on Dale Hollow Lake and Green River Lake and stuff like that. But uh, I saw the opportunity to move my business down here at the D Smith Fishing Guide Service. Um, I'm staying booked up. I, I'm excited to put my clients on these trophy fish and teach them some stuff about Ford Facing Sonar. So if you want to contact me, uh, I'll give my phone number right on here at 502 yeah, 855 2408 or message me on social media at D Smith Fishing and then on Facebook and just look up Dalton Smith and we'll get you down here. And uh, we got good food, we got good company, and we got we got world-class fish. So let's get, you know, let's get some people down here and try to catch one. So
0: right on, man. Well, hey, congrats again. Uh, you seem like a a good kid with a, uh, you know, a level head on your shoulders. So I wish you the best. I
1: appreciate you having me on here and and giving me an opportunity to share my story. And, uh, and hopefully we'll stay in touch. So,
0: and stay in touch, we would, because before I could air this conversation, Dalton went ahead and caught another 14 plus pound largemouth this past week. So uh, we had to take a supplement, an addition, if you will, to this conversation. We'll take a listen to that next. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Stealth Cam and the DS4K wireless cellular camera, the highest quality video that can be sent right to your cell phone. You can find the DS4K cell cam at StealthCam.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star they Outdoor Show. Get by all get by, by the grace of God, we all get by. Hey guys, Cable here for Armisite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to armisite.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal and night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at armorsite.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike, like the 640 contractor. I've got the 320, 640, even better. You can find it all at
1: armorsite.com. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by Hunters 400. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com.
0: Wow, we live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then pff, you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. They also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to Download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. Say it ain't so. said ain't last call. A whiskey on the rocks and Adderall. A whiskey on the rocks
1: and Adderall. We're no
0: different. Burr, than but butcher, Little American Aquarium bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Cable Smith here with you as always. Thanks for dropping by. We're still talking big bass here, and we'll get back into that conversation in just a sec. This segment, though, brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee and my friends over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. And with that being said, uh, let's go back to the well here and continue the Lunker conversation with Dalton Smith, who one-upped himself uh, again, this past week with another 14-plus pound largemouth bass. All right. Well, Dalton, this time it was eligible for the lunker program, which is 13-plus pound largemouth bass uh, that you can actually enter into the Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, Legacy Class lunker program. Uh, that opens up January 1st. And last week, uh, you're up to your old tricks. And you I think this, this fish you just caught was bigger than the first two. Yes, sir. Yep. Yes, yeah, so, fourteen seventy-six. So now you've got four, four, three fish over fourteen pounds.
1: Yes, sir. That's great.
0: All from Ivy and uh, yep. Yeah. So tell us about about that. What were the weather conditions like? Because um, yeah. the last two were from December, so you right. know, over over a month ago.
1: Yeah, the last time that we had talked, uh, I think I mentioned that we were in like kind of ice storm and everything was still kind of froze up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the only day I didn't fish that week that we had that conversation. Um, But the next day, I guess it was Thursday, um, we had a little bit of a warm-up. And it was mist and rain, so all the boat ramps and everything unthawed. And um, that whole week we had uh, Jack York and uh, Cade and – a bunch, of, a bunch of guys that I used to fish against in college, like at some point or another, we all fished against each other in some tournaments. And uh, we'd always just talk, like small talk at the boat ramp or when we saw each other on the water. But we were all kind of down here just trying to catch a locker. It was pretty cool that we were all staying together and hanging out every night. And uh, we stayed up like way too late the night before. Um, I think we ended up going to bed at two a.m. But we we were just talking about bass fishing the whole time. It was just that's why no, like beer, no beer. No are... beer was
0: drank during these conversations.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No comment there. Mm-hmm. But um, but we we just had a we just had a great time just bouncing ideas off of each other. And you know these guys are really good with forward facing sonar too. I mean, the, you know, probably the best around. You know, Jack York is killing it on. Lake Fork, he's been guiding there, so we were all just bouncing things off of each other, and I actually had to come to Coleman, where I'm at right now, because the roads were finally thawed, and I had to pick up some food and some windshield wipers, like my the ice had messed up my windshield wipers, so I was biting at the bit to get back out there, because I knew it was like raining and misting, and that's the same conditions I had when I caught my two fourteens in the same day, so I was, I was just trying to make everything, all these errands really quick, and I went back, and hooked up to the boat and dumped the boat in. And I had this one fish found um, and my clients actually like had this fish bite, but just never hooked up to it when they set the hook. And I went up to it on like my second stop and I I saw her sitting out there and I made one cast and she bit my Alabama rig and I set the hook into her and she kind of come up and wallered, And I was like, holy smokes. Like I knew it was a third, you know, I, I knew it was a Sherlocker. I could uh-huh. just tell like when she jumped and I, I netted her and laid her down the bottom of the boat and instantly just like started like like I told you before I almost threw up this I almost <laughs> threw up on this one too like I was just that fish really meant a lot to me because obviously that unicorn day I had with the 214s I just I really wanted to catch a lunker in the lunker program and too like I'm a young guy down here I just moved down down here and you know and I, I'm trying to to earn some respect and like, obviously like grow my brand. So that was a really big fish for me. I was super blessed uh, to hook up to another.
0: uh, I'm concerned about your client and the etiquette of uh, going behind him after he misses this fish. And you know, you land this 14 pounder.
1: Well, I was actually by myself that day. Um, We were all canceled that week because nobody could drive. Uh, oh, right. Everybody, all the all the cities and everything were locked up, and like the roads were terrible. So I was, I was, I was not on a guide trip that day. I was completely just fishing by myself. Like in 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 my instance, when I'm guiding, I make the most minimal cast ever. Like most of the time, my clients are like, "Why aren't you fishing?" I'm like, "Cause I'm trying to get them on that fish." So right. um, I just you had, had this found.
0: One... You had this fish found.
1: Yes, uh-huh. sir. Yeah, and it was I still been, there. I had been checking this fish for about three weeks. Um, these some of these big uh, fish, like in any lake, they kind of they've done some studies actually. Um, I just watched one. I think it was like it was something on YouTube, I, and I don't want to say the name because I might get it wrong. But um, these fish hang out in these trees or like some some little area, and it's like their home when they get this big. And that fish was there like every other time I went to check her. And if she wasn't there, she was probably around mm-hmm. that area. And I, could, I couldn't I could just see her on the on the forward facing. But I rolled up there and it was just like, you know, she was just glowing up under a bait ball, like a thread. There's some thread fin, like a real small bait ball up above her. And she was kind of sitting down towards the bottom and like 14, 10 to 14 foot. And I, I made the perfect cast and it all came together. So.
0: So so the Alabama rig, which is illegal in tournament fishing. Uh, some tournaments. Yeah. Some well, tournaments. on like the Elite Series and stuff like yes, that. Sir. It was yeah. legal, I think, for like a year or two, and then everyone was like, wait a second.
1: We, yeah, uh, right. These you you things can still are... fish it in the BFLs and some of the Toyota, like the Toyota events and some yeah. of the MLF events. And sometimes like different states have three hook laws, five hook laws, you know, that kind of stuff for different you can't have as many blades on there and everything. But I was throwing mm-hmm. a six cents Alabama rig, um, with all all six cents heads on it. I, I keep two, I run two quarters on the bottom and then the rest of them eights. And then I was throwing the ghost ice 3.2 divine swim bait. Okay. Right on. Right right on.
0: Yeah. So, okay. Well, so that makes sense that you didn't have a client on board, but he probably still would have been happy for you. Anyway, I quit guiding. (laughs) My guiding career was very short. I guided a few Turkey hunts and was like, Yeah, I always felt bad when they didn't get a turkey, and then I'm giving them half their money back, and I'm just like, and I didn't have to, but I just couldn't sleep at night if I didn't, but then the last time I ever guided anything was a duck hunt, and I shot this redhead, beautiful Drake redhead, my dog brings it back, I'm like, I'm going to get that thing mounted, I didn't say anything, but then the client was like, oh, that's great, I got that redhead, and I was like, okay. I guess yeah. you did. Here you, here's your, here's my duck. You can have it. You know, I was, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I was, my yeah. buddy he was shorthanded on guides and he was like, will you just come up and help me? And I was like, sure. But I was like, that's why I never got into guiding. Just, uh,
1: right. Right. You,
0: you know, that takes a special breed of person to, to love it that much to where, where your passion becomes work. Yeah, that's no. And
1: that's what, and that's what I've been asked that quite a bit. And I hope that day never comes. I, you know, whenever I'm guiding, I, I'm, I'm strictly like business and I, and learning or, you know, teaching and watching my mm-hmm. clients learn. So it's, it's different. Like they'll, they want me to fish every now and then sometimes, you know, every client's different. Sometimes people want to watch you fish just for a little bit, just to kind of see how you're doing it and everything. Um, but I, I, you know, I take those days that I have off and i try to get on the water and that's kind of my, my alone time and my, you know, and I, I, I still enjoy it just, just as much. Um, and when you net a fish, A big fish for a client, you know, and you see their face light up like that just makes it for me. That's that's just something I really. I guess I
0: never got that return on my investment because the guy never sent me a picture of my duck that he got mounted with him smiling. You know, maybe that would have made me feel better.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. That's funny.
0: Yeah. So okay, so when you caught this fish, you took it back to the same uh, marina, little store there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just I made a phone call to David and was like, man, like get you know start making the phone calls like I have I have a share lunker and uh, we went up there and and Caden who actually caught the other share lunker right after me he met me at the ramp and was asking me if I needed help in the process if he needed anybody to film anything I was like dude they are biting right now like it's obvious that, that like we're in a bite window he's like I was like you need to be fishing and I loaded my boat and took off and went up there and weighed the fish and like within 15 minutes like the picture he took in his boat with the fish in the net was 15 minutes later oh wow he, he just took off and first spot like he caught his sherlocker so
0: that's incredible um,
1: i was so i was so excited for him and we got to share that moment together and take some awesome pictures and you know we'll, we'll be able to go to the sherlocker like the ceremony and everything together so it's, it's pretty special
0: yeah that's awesome man awesome so yes, sir. I guess, uh, you know, when we talked last time, it was like, wow, this will never happen again. But here we are a week (laughs) later having the same conversation.
1: Yeah. I encourage uh, folks
0: to, uh, if they want to book a trip, man, Ivy is on fire.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm I'm booked up uh, throughout February. I have a couple off days and I'm already about half booked up for march so i'm super excited like things are it's on right now but they're just going to keep getting better as these fish transition into the spawn we're going to see a lot of these fish that are out deep um on the bottom you know in their winter hunt start to move up and we're going to see a lot bigger fish a lot more of that 8 to 12 to 13 you know right now it's just like some big ones are getting caught Mm -hmm. um and some numbers like some two to four two to five pound fish but we're going to start to see that that six to 11, 12 twelve pound class fish start to move up to spawn here in the next couple of weeks. So yes. Sir. Hey man,
0: congrats again. Uh man, thanks for thank jumping you. back on. And hopefully yeah. I get this thing for the on the air before you catch another one. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well I might I might try to beat it. <laughs>
0: All right, buddy. Well hey, appreciate it.
1: All right. Yes yeah, sir. Care. You take care now.
0: So there you goes fishing guy Dalton Smith. Uh I wouldn't be surprised if he catches another one of those thirteen plus pounders. Uh, and I am actively trying to book a trip with him. Not going to lie, <laughs> maybe maybe I'll catch one. Uh, that segment brought to you by Vortex Optics. You want to win a five thousand five hundred dollars shopping spree? That's five thousand dollars in Vortex Optics and five hundred dollars in Vortex gear, uh, swag apparel. Yeah, five grand in optics. You can mix and match whatever you want. Uh, all you need to do is sign up for their newsletter between now and March. And you're automatically entered. Uh, Where you want to go, let me tell you. It's just uh, join.vtxnation.com. That's join.vtxnation.com. Sign up for the newsletter, and you're entered into the $5,500 sweepstakes. Coming up next, the uh, crazy tale of a rogue mountain lion preying on people's pets in the Idaho backcountry and how uh, lifelong outdoorsman Joe Lobo Dealt with the problem on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show.
1: Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90 day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help
0: you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, they also donate 5% back to protecting nature Orvis and his customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off Virginia Parkway.
2: Hey everybody, this
1: is Michael Waddell with Bone Collector, and you listen to my good buddy Cable Smith with a long-star outdoor show.
0: Let it off fade away.
2: down river
0: Ah, uh, yes. The late great Jimmy Lafave River Road bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for being here as we've got a fascinating story to get into. <laughs> An un- unfortunate one, really. And I, you want to say there's a happy ending, but I don't really know if, if happy is the word to describe it. Uh, but we'll get into that next with uh, Idaho Outdoorsman Joe Lobo. But first, this segment brought to you by Numa, geared for the outdoors. If I was uh, traipsing around the Idaho backcountry this time of year, I guarantee you I'd have on the Palisade Puffy. This hooded beast is water repellent and quick trying. Also comes with a stuff sack, so you can uh, put it in your pack easily as well. You can find the Palisade Puffy as well as Numa's entire lineup right there at NumaOutdoors.com. And remember, they've got a lifetime warranty. So if anything happens, you tear it, a zipper breaks, whatever, they'll replace it for free. Uh check it out, Numa Outdoors. With that being said, let's bring on our next guest joining us from I believe Southern Idaho. It is my pleasure to welcome Joe Lobo to the show. Hey, thanks a lot. Glad to be here. My pleasure, brother. So, uh you're in Southern Idaho, correct? Yeah. Lifelong resident?
2: No. Moved here to transplant about 32, 33 years ago.
0: Where did you escape from?
2: Take a wild guess California. Good, good old California.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My favorite
2: state. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I know.
0: Yeah. I feel That's like an Idaho
2: after 30 years, though.
0: For sure, for sure. So, what do you enjoy hunting most?
2: Uh, you know, I got to admit, I'm a mule deer guy. Uh-huh. And uh, I I like getting out and hunting coyotes quite a bit. Okay, and the predator side of it too. Right uh, elk, elk, I can take or give. Yeah, but but yeah, mule deer is is my animal preference.
0: Well, and I know you're a proud member of the Creed Nation. You sent me a photo of a, a very nice mule deer buck that you took with your six five
2: Yep, just got home about uh, four or five days ago. Took a nice coos deer and a couple of javelina with it too.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, where did you go yeah. for coups?
2: Oh, right there on the same ranch that was out in Mexico.
0: Okay. You were down in Mexico. So, you were close to where I was then.
2: Sonora. Somewhere around the middle of Sonora somewhere.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you did you fly into Hermosillo? I did. Well, yeah. So, when I went, everybody on my plane was a hunter. It was not a woman on the plane, and everybody had on some kind of hunting gear or backpack or cap. It was like I was looking, trying to find someone that didn't look like a hunter. There wasn't one.
2: Yeah. And, and I'll you'd be surprised. Most of them from Texas.
0: Yeah. I yeah. talked to
2: a lot of guys from Texas that were headed that way.
0: Uh-huh. So do you hunt a uh, mule deer back home in Idaho too? I do. And w- I How do. is it for a resident to get a, to get a mule deer or an elk tag these days?
2: Uh, I couldn't be exactly for sure on the elk tags, but I know the deer tag, you just, it's just over the counter. Mm-hmm. And uh, they changed a few laws this year. I think, you know, any general tag, you used to be able to bounce around from general unit to general unit, but they put a stop to that now. So for the non-residents, once you purchase that tag in a general unit, you have to stay in that general unit.
0: Okay, right on. Well, so you'll fit the Western hunter stereotype perfectly if you admit that you also elk hunt with the 6'5 Creedmoor.
2: (laughs) I'm not going (laughs) to say I did go on the road this year, and I did pack the six five.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Let's take it a step further. Do you have a Toyota Tacoma with a bunch of First Light and BHA stickers on the back?
2: That I don't have. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I didn't invite you on here to beat you up. So That's, I actually hey, I'm
2: I'm all for it. <laughs> my son, my son had even told me he goes, you need to set the icebreaker with the six five Creed more. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think it's funny just to joke about it. I have a six five. I hunt uh you said you like to hunt coyotes. It's my it's my thermal gun, so I hunt uh hogs and coyotes with it primarily. But right. um but I don't take it elk hunting because I have a 300 wind mag. Yeah. Uh, but what I really wanted to talk about was uh, an unfortunate situation that took place last winter and you sent me this pretty graphic image of your dog partially eaten by what you surmised to be from a a mountain lion. Yes, correct. So how rural are you?
2: You know, I, I'm spaced out here pretty, pretty good. And, and fortunately I live right on the, on the, line of uh public land. Uh So you know I got quite a bit of desert and canyons that butt right up to my property. I mean, you know, a matter of five or six minutes on a four-wheeler, I'm in public land. Yeah on BL. So I'm Uh out here, yeah, I'm out here a little ways.
0: Okay. But how close was this where you found the dog's body, how close was that to your your actual house?
2: I'm gonna bet it was if anything, 30 yards from my door.
0: So it killed it and just started to eat it right there,
2: right there. And it was, this all took place. It started on a Sunday, Uh a guy at my work, he lives about two miles as the crow flies from me. And he calls me in the morning about six o'clock and he says, Hey, you're not going to believe this. A cat got my dog this morning about four o'clock. So Mm. I said, are you sure? This guy's a non-hunter. Yeah. So I said, sure. It was a lion. He goes, yeah, I went out and beat it with a stick. And then with a pipe and it still wouldn't let go. And until I pulled his truck up there with the headlights and honked the horn and it finally let go of the dog and it took mm. off into dark. So I went up there. Of course, I got to go and investigate. So I go yeah. over there. I died. clearly it's cat tracks in the snow and a bloody mess. The dog survived, huh. but the cat had actually pulled the dog off of a chain and huh. um, was pulling it through a barbed wire fence and the dog had his hind leg wrapped up in the bottom strand of the barbed wire when the guy woke up out of bed to go investigate why the dog was screaming. And, um, so I called the neighbor, he runs dogs and he come down and he said, yeah, it's a cat for sure. And he let his dogs on it, but the snow was so frozen. They lost the track. You couldn't Uh pick up a track no more. Okay. So on a Tuesday, my wife went outside in the evening and have a cigarette or something. She says, your dog's not on the porch. I didn't think much of it. You know, he's off chasing a coyote or a fox or doing, doing what a dog does on the farm.
0: Yeah.
2: And then uh, the next morning, about 5.30, my wife was up on the front porch having a cup of coffee. And that dog for five or six years has been by her side having a cup of coffee in the morning. So yeah. I got up. He said, your dog's not here. Still didn't dawn on me. So I went and did chores, fed cattle, and came back. And I pulled in the driveway and uh, noticed no dog on the porch. And by then, it was daylight. And I could clearly see the tracks all over in the driveway, all over. And you could see where they had fought. And, and the snow was kicked all over the place. There was tracks with mm. blood in it and so on. So I. So uh,
0: the dog was missing for a full day, though?
2: Well, from about... 11 o'clock the night before yeah until the next day Uh at some point because my mother-in-law said she had heard him barking late at night and he had a deep bark yeah you know you know the dog barks different when they're mad about something oh yeah but even even then living out here i didn't give it much thought because we got coyotes we got deer roaming around raccoons everything
0: what kind of dog was it
2: he was a red border collie okay and he was a tough dog. I, I mean, he he's pretty scrappy old cow dog.
0: hmm Okay. And so then you you find you see all the tracks and blood and everything, and find the dog.
2: Yeah. So I just started looking around in the yard here, and it was apparent the cat had been all over the yard, around the shop, around the chicken pen, around my corrals. It had even been in my corrals with cattle. Hmm. And so I just looked down next to a haystack here along the driveway, and there was the dog eating. And I and then it hit me. I knew. I said that that cat's been down here.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So I called our federal trapper, and uh, he said take some pictures. And so I did. And he said, yeah, definitely the work of a cat. And he said, under my discretion, you could you can dispose of that cat however you want if you can catch up to it. You can trap it. You can do whatever you want to get rid of it. It's a problem.
0: And the cat typically will eat the entrails first, like the stomach, yeah. and that's what that's what happened here.
2: Yeah, and then you could see it was the only place on the property that didn't have any snow where it didn't drift in because uh-huh. it was kind of blocked by a, a, a snowmobile trailer. So it was a perfect spot for that cat to pull the dog in there. And yeah. then the hay stems and stuff that was around the, the haystack is what he had tried to bury the, the dog with.
0: Okay, and so what time do you think that actually happened then?
2: It had to be somewhere between eleven thirty at night until between eleven thirty at night and probably five a.m.
0: Okay, okay.
2: Because, like I said, my wife was back out on the porch about five five thirty having coffee in the morning, and the dog wasn't around.
0: Yeah, Yeah. but
2: it was dark, and nobody could nobody really noticed the tracks and the snow in the driveway at that time.
0: Mm. So the the trapper says, and that's an employee of Idaho Fishing Game.
2: Actually, I believe this guy, I could be wrong, but I believe he was a federal guy, just a little bit over our state people. Uh-huh. So on the phone is when he said, I had a cat tag in my pocket to begin with. And he said, But under my discretion, you, you, uh, you just kill the cat. I'll come out there and I'll do the paperwork and turn it over to your fishing game office. So don't even,
0: there. you didn't have to use your line tag. Didn't just have to. Depredation permit. Yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> it's so crazy because the place that you fled from California, I had a guy on about two years ago, and a mountain lion came into his yard and killed two of his goats. and ke- and he kept coming back like multiple nights in a row, and he' was like, I'm, "I want to kill it." And they're like, "You can't kill that lion. You'll go to jail." Like the same situation, except for it was goats and not a dog. right? California, like they, they value him. Actually, this past week, a five-year-old kid got mauled by a mountain lion and california's uh, response was well we're not going to kill that cat even though they matched they found the cat did the dna sample and then they're like we're not going to we're not going to euthanize it like it just almost killed a kid so yeah. it's just a different mentality uh, it's ass backwards for sure
2: it is and that's one thing about idaho there there's some guys out here that will probably disagree with me but as far as i'm concerned what i've been watching idaho does a really good job as far as leniency of tags and permits and methods of taking predators, Mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, I don't really have any complaints with the state of Idaho on a predator hunt and the wolf situation is different, but even that's starting to come around where they're noticing that we need to do something.
0: Well, and I know for a fact, because they've told me, they shoot wolves out of helicopters. They just don't publicize it because, you know, the the backlash, but they are trying, you know, Idaho's aware of the wolf problem. I don't know if you have wolves in your, uh, part of the state but
2: no not not down this far about an hour and a half to two hours from me mm-hmm. is when you start running into wolf sign up in the mountains
0: gotcha okay well Joe let's knock out a quick break I want to come back and hear uh, how this tale ends up playing out uh, because there is uh at least there's a resolution we'll get into that next that segment brought to you by all seasons feeders and blinds and the big chingon it's what Henry and I hunted out of all season it's roomy and hey you know what if you want to put all of your kiddos in there, uh, I've taken three kids and the wife. You could even put the dog in there if you wanted to. It's the big chingone, Roomy, quiet, shelves, cup holders, windows for both uh, archery and rifles. So got you covered there. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoors show.
2: We can do it on the worst day. It's a
0: Time to tell you about Protect products. Veteran owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, Energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, They don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to Protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's Protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T, dot com. Yesterday
1: is mine. Yesterday.
0: That's Blackberry Smoke and the great George Jones. By request, yesterday's wine. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for tuning in to SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. And by the way, yesterday's wine ain't that bad. Maybe last week's wine. Yeah, that's probably a different story. Uh, But anyway, thanks again for being here. We're still visiting with uh, Idaho native Joe Lobo. We'll hear the rest of uh, his unfortunate situation momentarily. First, though, this segment is brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the Patriot rifle lineup. Whether you're looking for a reliable .22-250 to introduce your kids into hunting or you're looking for a new deer rifle, they've got everything up to a 375 Ruger and, of course, everything in between. You can find the Patriot lineup at Mossberg.com. Okay, well, where we left off with Joe... Um, his dog had unfortunately been killed in their front yard and partially consumed by a mount lion. And then you reached out to a government trapper who gave you the green light to go ahead and dispose of the thing. I guess you, the next step is you got to find it.
2: Oh yeah. And it didn't take but a few, a little while to find him. Uh-huh. So he asked me where I lived at and my coordinates. And so he says, well, do you know such and such neighbor down the road? And I said, yeah, I live two and a half miles down the road. And he goes, oh, no. He goes, I just left their place because they had a cat problem in their sheep. Didn't Mm. kill any sheep because they had some great Pyrenees dogs out there guarding sheep. But the tracks are evident that the cat had been into the sheep. So he said, I just left there, but I'm 20, 30 minutes out. But he said, I can guarantee you I've been trapping these things for 30, 40 years. He goes, after they eat, they don't go... they don't go far, you know, two or 300 yards if they got some coverage. And mm-hmm. so he asked, do you got any uh, heavy coverage around the house? And I said, well, yeah, about 200 yards. We put a plot in there for pheasants forever years ago, and it's fenced off to keep cattle out. So it'd be a great place for a cat. It's got juniper trees and shrubs. It's just a, a well-hidden spot. So he says, I can almost guarantee that a cat's probably laying down there and sleeping and waiting to come back tonight to eat again. Mm-hmm. So I said okay, and he said, "You got any old traps around there?" I said, "Yeah, I used to have a trapping permit years ago." And he goes, "You can set twenty traps around that dog if you want." He goes, "I guarantee you he'll get into one of them." Well, I got an eight-year-old at that time; he was seven. I said, I, "The traps is not going to work. Mm-hmm. That little one of mine gets outside, it, it could be catastrophe." <laughs> so I called the neighbor, and I said, "Come on down here and bring your dogs, and let's see if we can track this thing." So he come down and uh, we just started following the tracks, but the tracks were so spread out. It was hard to pick up which direction this cat apparently had been coming and going and coming and going. Mm. And I don't tell him how long he had been in my yard or how many times. Yeah. And so um, I said, let's just take off down there to that tree plot and uh, see if he jumps out. I said, I'll go around the back because on the back end, it's just, wide open farm country so I figured if the cat bolted out of there it would give me a clear shot well my buddy walked up through there he got to the end of the trees and he hollered at me he said no cat so I come back through the trees and we both walked down through the tree plot and lo and behold here's that cat laying under a tree hissing on its on his back legs Mm. so I pulled up and shot him but what's weird is the tracks from my buddy going up there were literally 10 foot in the snow from where that cat was laying under that juniper tree hiding it never budged he walked right past it once and then we met at the end of the trees and walked together back through on the same tracks and then finally the cat sat up and kind of made a hissing sound and i just pulled up and shot her
0: with the six five
2: (laughs) no actually it was it was a 223 this time
0: (laughs) okay well, that just tells you this cat had a very high tolerance for human activity. I mean, he's he's thieving and living in very close proximity. I don't was it was it an old cat? Like what happened when? No, it was an, you know, actually
2: a, a fairly young cat. And uh-huh. um, the biologists seem to think it got weaned off because really we had a really severe uh, storm hit and it lasted for about 60 days where I mean, it was frigid. 10 degrees was a high, 12 was a high. So the cat was obviously hungry, but somewhere along its life, it was probably taught to pick on cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. Who, who knows? But um, it gets stranger even after that. You know, well, it, after we get the cat put down, the the trapper showed up and uh, he looked the cat over and he said, it's a young cat. And it was fairly skinny. It had been hungry. It was kind of thin. And so I learned a lot from this experience. Yeah. So he, the trapper said, you don't mind if I look at the dog, I don't want to be morbid, but I've been studying these cats for 30, 40 years. There's two kinds of cats. He says, there's chokers and there's skull crushers. And he says, I can look at your dog and tell you exactly what that, what kind of cat that is, what kind of method he uses to kill. So Mm -hmm. he went over there and sure enough, the dog's, top of his skull was just caved in when he said yeah he goes, like I, I guarantee you just bit him right on the top of the head and held him mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. i put it together the neighbor that said when he was beating the cat off of his dog it had him by the top of the head same thing mm-hmm. so the trapper was probably pretty sharp guy you could tell he'd been doing it for a while
0: yeah well that's interesting the mountain lion that i killed in colorado uh we had hunted it took me three trips and we caught, uh, probably three females on the two previous trips. And then I went back and, uh, December and we were doing it on uh, dry ground, which is what I wanted to do. But for the first time we were hunting on private land because this rancher had had two foals killed and his, the rancher was like, you can hunt here fine. Uh, but whatever you catch, you kill. And we were from a conservation standpoint, like not really, we were trying not to kill a female wanted a big Tom. Of course it was a female that was doing it. So I ended up shooting her because that was the deal. Right. Um, But yeah, once they start preying on livestock or pets, they're, they're typically, they're not going to quit.
2: Yeah. And what scares me is to think my seven-year-old that, that tree plot is 200 yards max from my Mm -hmm. house. And he plays down there, shoots his BB gun down there. You know, it's just where he goes to build forts and hang out and be a country yeah. kid. I mean, that the situation could have been it could have gone horribly wrong had my kid been down there playing and that cat could have got him. You know, yeah. it could have been it could have been bad.
0: Absolutely. So was there uh I mean did you feel good from, from like a revenge standpoint? No. Be honest. No, no. The no. whole thing just left the was just sucked.
2: Yeah, it kind of sucked. I mean, I, like I said, I was glad it was a dog and not my kid. Yeah. But it was a sucky situation. You, you know, I'm just like most hunters. I I I I care about the animals. You know, and it was unfortunate. Had the cat been out in the desert where it belonged, eating deer and antelope and the other things that cats should be doing, mm-hmm. that's where it should have been. But yeah. in this situation, it wasn't. It was it was in housing. You know, around my yard and and eating dogs.
0: Well, and, and then there's was... people that will be like, "Well, you moved into their habitat." Well, you know, there's a there's a balance there, right? It's uh, yeah. and, and ultimately, who's the real predator? It isn't the mountain lion. It's the per- right. it's the ones that walk on two feet. Um, and so when they get out of line, you know, it's our job to responsibly manage their populations. Sometimes they go rogue, and there's really no other alternative. There's no other outcome for this no. kind of situation. It ends one mm-hmm. way for them and yeah and that's the he, way it is
2: even the trapper said you know he says if i come out and set some traps and i catch that cat i'm gonna it's it i'm gonna put him down yeah because it no, doesn't absolutely. do it good to relocate him or any of that because that no, that's no that's
0: california mentality <laughs> yeah
2: he says we don't, we're not gonna do that we're we're no. gonna put the cat down and, and be done with it so it doesn't ever come back
0: had you i know you said you had a a mountain lion tag so had, had you hunted cougars before
2: I, I have years ago, i went out with a couple guys with dogs. Wasn't quite my thing just for, cause of time reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a lot of work to do and you know how it works with dogs. You got to hit that weather pattern, right? Everybody's got to be on the same game and be in the woods at four o'clock in the morning, looking for tracks. And I, I it just, oh, yeah. that time doesn't work for me, but I have, I you carry one just because when I am calling coyotes along uh, canyons and things like that, just to have one in my pocket because i i see their tracks quite a bit on the desert
0: yeah right on right on so the last question i have is uh what became of the cat
2: uh he's he's currently at the taxidermist still
0: <laughs> right i would he's hope so. yeah
2: but the strange thing is <clears throat> after We killed that cat the very next morning. I went outside to start my pickup, and I always keep a rifle on the seat of the pickup. And I didn't walk 50 yards from my 40 yards most from my pickup to go push some feed in for my cattle. And the second one was standing right there at the corral looking at me. Yeah, there was a pair of them. There were a pair. And this one I could obviously tell was the male because I could just see his head was a little blockier, you know. And it was the longest 10 second stare off I've ever had in my life. And I kind of thought, well, the truck, the truck is sitting there idling with a gun. Do I run to the truck or do I just try to ease into it? Cause I, mm-hmm. I wasn't worried about the cat getting me because there was yeah. too many obstacles in the way as I didn't want to startle them. I wanted to get the gun and get that cat shot too. And mm-hmm. so as soon as I turned to take one step towards the pickup, it just bolted. It took off in a, in a canal. So one side of me was like, okay, I'm glad it's scared of people. Hopefully Mm. it just come back looking for its litter mate and hopefully it won't come back. So I set up cameras everywhere you could think of on this property in every direction and never did get a photograph of that cat coming back.
0: Mm. So he left. So that's good. He he left. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. I'm still
2: uh, every day. Now I go out there and look around for tracks
0: Never seen him again, though.
2: Never seen him again.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I uh, I hate that your dog was killed. I appreciate you coming on, though, and, and telling your story. And uh, certainly, I think, you know, we have to applaud Idaho Fish and Game for the way that they handle these type of, uh, it seems like an open-shut book, you know, where, hell, uh, my friend uh, Ty Stubblefield had one of his bison mauled by a grizzly in Montana. And the mm-hmm. wildlife agent comes out and is like, eh, can't really prove that it's a grizzly. I mean, there's grizzly claw marks down the animal's back. And he's like, well, w- what about the claw marks? What do you think did that? You know? For- yeah. <laughs> Some mystical creature. It wasn't a lion. It wasn't a wolf. What? What's left? You know, there's only so many predators here. Right. And, you know, he yeah. just, th- he thought it was just the state trying to weasel their way out of paying for the depredation. But right. ultimately they did. Um. I'm just like, God, let's have some common sense in, in predator management. So kudos right. to you, Idaho fishing game. i um, glad you're able to to put the cat down. And do send me a photo once the, uh, the mount is uh, displayed proudly over yeah. the mantle. I
2: like just got a half mount. You've probably mm-hmm. seen bear mounts with just the half coming out oh, with yeah. the arm. Uh-huh. That's what I got done with him.
0: Well, right on, Joe. Well, hey, thanks again for uh, jumping on. And uh, I wish you the yeah. best. In, your uh, mule deer hunting adventures, my friend.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on.
0: Oh, and what is your uh, what's your Instagram, if folks? Well, I don't know if you if you post a lot of hunting related content on there, but
2: yeah, I do post a lot of hunting stuff. on am the Dog Catcher.
0: The Dog Catcher. Okay. Thanks again. Yeah, I appreciate it. So there you have it, Joe Lobo recounting his experience with a rogue Idaho mountain, lion. and I say rogue because you know once you start preying on pets or livestock. That's usually the end of the line for you, kitty cat, uh, as it should be. So uh, don't give me that, oh, you moved into their territory, crap. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. Um, that's just not the world we live in. The human population is only going one direction. So how do we responsibly manage wildlife? Uh, that's the that's the real question that we face today in 2023. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. Check out the BB Squared or uh, or maybe you know we've switched over to hog they've got a hog formula as well you can find it at walmart tractor supply um or at big unfortunately we're out of time for today gotta go gotta get out of here thanks to joe as well as our other guest uh angler bass angler dalton smith thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible thanks to you the listener for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show Until next time i'm cable smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors and i'm on my own
1: but i'm finally home never more